Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. A podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. My name is Aminatu So. And I'm Ann Friedman. We have a jam-packed agenda this week. We'll be answering your emails about how our humble little podcast began and how you can start your own, making and keeping friends at the end of college and beyond, uh, baby feminist syllabus, and obviously this week in menstruation, and maybe even the winner of our period joke contest. We had more than one email from listeners saying, what advice do you have to women who are getting getting started? Or what advice do you have for starting a podcast? What do we need? And I feel like this is actually pretty easy to be transparent about. So what advice do you have about starting a podcast? <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Well, um, seeing that I'm now a seasoned uh, podcast professional. Oh my, it's been almost a year. It has, right? Yeah. Man. Yeah. Whoa, we should have a big party for that. We should have a party. Um, Love a party. (laughs) I think that for you and I, having Gina was really instrumental in getting this podcast off the ground because we like, you know, one, it was her idea. Two, she's kind of the, the like whiz behind the production of it. So I would say that talking to somebody who is a good producer or learning how to produce yourself that's kind of instrumental getting the right equipment. I would say our equipment was not expensive at all. Right. Right. Making that up. No, I mean, and, and part of the reason we knew what to order is because Gina, who has worked in public radio kind of had a sense of, okay, here's what's, what's affordable, but would still make you guys sound good. So we both ordered a blue Yeti microphone and a microphone stand and a pop filter from Amazon And then we paid to download software called Audio Hijack Pro. And that is pretty much the extent of Amina and my tech setup, right? I mean, and headphones, I guess. But that's pretty much it. Yeah, which I already own fabulous gold headphones. I need new headphones. (laughs) Um, I'll send you links. I've been doing some headphone research. Please. So, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe, Gina, this is a good place for you to, like, butt in right. and <laughs> explain explain the process a little more. Yeah, so the biggest thing to keep in mind is developing a setup that really works for you that's going to be simple and easy, but then for your listeners is also going to be intelligible enough audio for them to hang in there. So as Anne and Amina mentioned, we sort of knew what our constraints were and some of what our budget was. But for about 300 bucks or less, you can get a high-quality podcasting microphone with a USB input that'll plug right into your laptop. You can buy a license for a cheap piece of software like Audio Hijack Pro that allows you to record that audio that's coming into your computer. There's way more fancy and sophisticated ways to do this, like if, like when I'm a professional radio producer, so if I'm working at a radio station, you know, there's lots of gear, but you don't need that to have kind of a core, listenable sound 
that's exciting, that lets you get going quickly. There's a couple of great resources to do that. The mics that we use are made by Blue Microphones. They have some great tips on their website for getting a quality recording in a home office or in a space that's ordinarily, if you're an audio pro, people that work in post-production sound for film and television. These are the kind of spaces that drive them crazy because they're difficult to work with. So they give you all the tips and tricks about how you can really cheaply make a little box to absorb sound out of foam you would buy at Home Depot and a file crate. So that's even getting ahead of ourselves. What you really need is a passion for a subject, the consistency of your time, and then a few key items, uh, some resources for this. I mentioned Blue Microphones. They have that great tutorial on their site. SoundCloud has an easy podcast publication system that will push out to iTunes that I think is free, if I'm not mistaken. And that allows you to embed that player on Facebook, on your personal website, anywhere that you want, and also get your feed onto iTunes. And then another great resource is a website called transom.org, T-R-A-N-S-O-M.org. And these are audio podcasting and radio professionals. You will hear examples of great work, thoughts on how you tell a story in audio. It's just incredibly inspiring the kinds of documentaries that are posted there. And then they do things like gear tests with different audio samples so you can say, oh, hey, I don't really need that $600 microphone when this one sounds like this. Or, oh, maybe all I need is a little attachment for my iPhone. A hot tip, I am recording this as we speak on my iPhone and it's not a fancy one. It's a 4S. I'm talking into the microphone using the built-in software called Voice Memos. I'm in a quiet room, and that's all I have to do. Now, the other thing you might want to think about is editing. I do edit the show a little bit, so taking out little pauses, removing a word here and there. If there's a section we want to start over, saving some questions for later episodes. You can you can learn to do all of that using some of the resources we talked about, but also, you know, keep the focus on what do you do well? What's the story that you want to tell? And my one rule of thumb is just please never more than an hour. Unless you have an interview with the president or the most important person in your field, I never want to hear a conversational show over 60 minutes. That's just my breaking point. Let your listeners binge listen. If they love it, leave them wanting more. It's like the party rule. Always leave 15 minutes earlier than you really want to leave the party, and you'll go out on a good note. But I, I also think, though, on a level of not not just having a friend who's in the know, but like group accountability. I mean, one reason I think that we have been successful at this, it feels good to say that we've been successful at this, I was sort of hesitant, is because we are consistent. You know, we we do this every other week and we make it happen. And if someone's busy, like it's not an excuse because we're accountable to each other, not just listeners who we've never met. <laughs> and I think that really helps. I don't know. What else? Yeah. You know, I think, too, that we um, we are really blessed hashtag that we get to do something that we love. You know, this is this is not like super far removed from the way that we usually interact um and too close sometimes I, you know like dare dare i say this is like one of my few side projects that i've enjoyed every single step of the way right 
there's never like a heaviness of like, oh, I have to talk to Anne today. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. There have been moments Always. when you've been screaming about like your microphone or there's been like a frustrating tech problem that have probably not been fun. But yeah, but you know, but you're like always in the mix. So right. there's that. So yeah, I, I would say like pick your interests. It's also been really surprising to me what people actually care about, you know, like if you had told <laughs> me more. that we were going to do that, we were going to do a podcast about like lady periods, occasionally talk about poop. Um, you know, like we get a lot of emails asking for more poop. Yeah. The <laughs> ladies love to talk about poop. Like <laughs> you ladies are crazy. If you had told me that, that's something that's just like my general expression of myself, that I would find medium success in doing that, I, w- I would not have believed you. We also had some experiments in the beginning where I think we tried to be a little bit more, not scripted, but intentional about what we were going to cover. And we do discuss up front what are, what are some of the articles or stories we want to talk about, but mostly we kind of let the conversation go where it wants to, and we don't try to read from a script. I mean, Gina was saying to me the other day that one reason why actors and comedians make good podcasters is like they're good at reading scripts or telling jokes or sort of performing things that they've said before. And you and I are not those people. We are people who are good at just having a conversation. And so thinking about what you're good at is probably, (laughs) I mean, not to demean your acting skills, but. (laughs) What a bummer. Um, Yeah, I'll just take some more acting classes so I get better at this. Yeah, you know, I say like, follow your, um, follow your own bliss, your own inspiration see what you want to do also like surprise there's like no women in podcasting so please if you are a woman who likes podcasts you'd be surprised at how much easier it is to or accessible it is than um than you think it is and i think that the airwaves would just be better in general for having more ladies talking right but it's definitely true that there are if you're like oh huh i've had a hard time finding podcasts with women who share my opinions or point of view, like talking about issues I care about, other than this one, obviously, because you're listening, maybe you should start one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. Because it is true. It's frustrating to see the absolutely explosive growth in podcasts and the sort of infrastructure around them start to get built up. You know, these networks that are both independent and affiliated with places like Slate and the, you know, ex This American Life people like Gimlet. And, the, you know, there's they're starting to become sort of a, I don't want to call it a food chain, but like there's a scale now of like super independent to like super well-funded and ensconced in a media institution. And all up and down that chain, I don't really see that many women. And that is yeah. awful. I mean, isn't that like also true for public radio, though? It's, I think I read somewhere and I think that we or at least in my life, this is true. Like most of the people that I know that are producers for radio are like well-educated white women, mm-hmm. but they never make it to the front of the microphone for many reasons. Right. Audio ladies, they're everywhere. Are you, are so, you telling people to be the talent? <laughs> I, yeah. You know, like yeah. be the talent. I mean, like being a producer is the talent. Totally. I totally. Just think, I just always wonder like why the editor, like writer problem, you know? Yeah. What are the dynamics that make that possible? But yeah, and we get a ton of email from people who say that they want to start their own podcast. So presumably the lady podcast pipeline is strong. (laughs) Right. At least the desire is strong. Yeah. You know, also just do it. It's fun. It's like a minimal investment from you. 
it's also like a good challenge, you know, because, yeah. you know, like you're an acclaimed journalist. I'm an acclaimed non-journalist. <laughs> um, figuring out the audio puzzle has been really, it's been really, really, really fun. I will say that. Yeah. And, and it also, I mean, it gets better <laughs> in, in terms of the technical stuff. I think that we talked ourselves through a lot of early technical setbacks by just being like, this is what we're here to figure out. Like we're doing this podcast so we can learn this, this technical thing that actually isn't that hard by doing it week in and week out if you are a lady who has a podcast you should write us though and um because we want to know more about it yeah we would love to shout them out the other thing that is sort of i think proven by um a lot of these new podcast networks is that people don't know where to find the next great podcast after they binge listen to the archives of one and so it would be great if we could tell the people who listen to this podcast to listen to your podcast <laughs> once they've gone through our archive and are like, give me more. It would be great to just be like, here are 25, 50, 60, 70 podcasts One by women. Million One million podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> also, you know, like I'm excited about podcasts because, you know, I think reading and writing is basically over. So <laughs> I think that audio is the future. I'm so lazy. So this is me like planting um, a flag in my post writing future. <laughs> And this is this is your post writing future. You better like double down and invest here. Um, yeah. Are you telling me you, you want to go like weekly? The wi- <laughs> I'm telling you, I want to go daily. <laughs> I want to go steady. No way. There are people who have like daily podcasts. I don't know how they do it. It's, what? Like, it's like mind boggling. Okay, that's that's that is truly mind boggling. I know. The thing that matters most is you know, even if you do it once a month or whatever, just being consistent, you know, not doing it like, oh, I'm going to wait three days and then I'll wait three weeks and I'll put it out whenever I feel like it. And I think that this is something that I found to be true in other media as well, that consistency matters so much. Just like, yeah, you know, people need to know when to find totally, you, where to find you totally. in the same place. Oh yeah. And buy time. that URL. <laughs> Buy the URL. For oh the yeah. <laughs> if you have any remote inkling of an idea of something that you think would be a good podcast, do it. I guarantee you, it'll be so much better than you think it is. Uh, and we can't wait to hear you. Oh my god, yes! Send us the links, all of the links. Positive vibe, you know. Do you want to read this other question? Yeah, sure. So here's the next question. I have a question that you've addressed in part in the past, but here it is anyway. I'm nearing the end of college. Oh, tender baby feelings. <laughs> and feeling like I've done it all wrong. I joined the wrong clubs and spent almost four years trying to convince myself to like people I have nothing in common with. Now, I have a couple of months left, and I finally found some people who I can just tell are my kind of people. Aww. The problem is that they're already friends, and I'm coming in very late to the game. The prospect of making new friends at this point is utterly overwhelming and seems, seems like a crazy thing to try to do. At the same time, I have this terrible sense that this is the last opportunity to make real and lasting connections with all these interesting people while they're all in the same place. Do you two have any advice on end-of-college friendships, after-college friendships, or breaking into social circles when you are a late bloomer? Oh, this is 
This is very close to my heart. <laughs> Do you want to? I have a story that relates to this, but I'm sure you also have a story that relates I to mean, this. I mean, you tell me. I'm still emotionally recovering. Okay. Over here. <laughs> you take a feelings moment, and I will, I will tell Thank my you. story, which is that at the end of my third year in college, almost all of my friends had either graduated or were studying abroad, or basically I found myself facing down my last year of school with zero friends. Like kind of not, you know, for different reasons, but like kind of in in the same scenario. And I ended up befriending some women who I'm still friends with to this day who are a couple years behind me. And it's funny because it's really it's really tempting to think of the end of college as this like hard endpoint. And I think it is for certain social dynamics, but it's also life is long and friendship is long. And um, sometimes when you befriend people at you know, the right moment, even if you've only had a few months together, that's a friendship that carries on. And one of those friends who I befriended my last year, I mean, I, I still talk to her every week and she's one of my, she's one of my closest. So shout out Katie Blair. Anyway, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like you should never have that it's too late mentality. And, um, and maybe the, the ways you form friendships are going to be different post-college, but that doesn't mean you won't make friends. And that doesn't mean the friendships you make now won't last. Oh, so, so true. So good. Oh, Katie Blair, what a great lady. Fantastic Um, woman. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know that about you two. That makes it even more special. Yeah. I really feel this question a lot because I think that I had the same anxiety about the end of college. Like I had this, I had a great, great time in college. It wasn't all easy, but it was really, um, it was as close to like movie college experience as you can get, I guess. Were there panty raids? I feel like that's a movie um, yes, college and, experience. Uh, duh. <laughs> I um, <laughs> please. I am a member of the student like streaker association of the South. Oh my so god! Of don't, course you like, are. Don't joke. But so yeah, you know, like I I feel this a lot, but. I think that what you said about like kind of expanding out your friend circle is really interesting. Like I was the same way. I finished college in three years instead of four. You know, I felt that the clock was ticking (laughs) really fast. And I also started college in the spring, not the fall. So it's like when I went in, I felt that like everybody was already friends and I already had like so much catching up to do. My one semester of freshman year and then the beginning of sophomore year were just like very much like a lot of personal and social turmoil. So I feel like I was generally on pause there. And it wasn't really until junior year that my engine got roaring. And I was like, oh, I feel really alive here, but was also just like realized that it was almost over. There is like the fantasy, like romantic element to college, right? And just thinking like, oh, this is like all package neatly and nicely. But I will say this about post-college friendship. That was the first time for me that I felt really liberated in making friends and thinking, oh, all of these people are my friends because we found things in common beyond like we're in the same class or we go to the same school or our moms lived on the same street. You start to meet people for for many different interesting reasons. It's obviously harder and it's a, you know, it's a little trickier because you're not blessed with like campus college dynamics anymore. <laughs> that just makes that scheduling really easy. But yeah, I, I've kept a few friends from college. They're all fantastic, fantastic, fantastic people. And I, I cherish those friendships forever. But I think that also coming out of college those first two years, I met some really cool people. And I think that it's really possible to do that. And, you know, to address the 
the how do you break into a friend circle, that whole, that question, I feel like I'm currently going through that. (laughs) So it's, you know, like that part is really tough. But I think that there's also one point where you kind of have to admit to yourself that you kind of don't know the full story. Like it's really easy to feel like the outsider and be really intimidated by bonds that people already have. You know, and and sometimes those are, like, very true and very real and hard to break into, and other times they're just, it's, like, kind of the movie that's playing in your head is different. And, again, like, the thing is, just, like, be yourself. Everybody that is your friend is yourself because, like, you're awesome. Granted, sometimes you have to turn your, like, friend seduction mode to, like, 100. (laughs) (laughs) You know, which for me manifests in, like, saying yes to every single hangout opportunity doing like a thorough, you know, like a thank you email links recap at the oh, end. Oh, the of, links you know, recap so important in you modern know, like friendship. at the end of it, like things we talked about earlier. PS, do you remember our links recap from our first meeting? Do you remember it, the subject matter? No, what is it? I do. It was about denim skirts. <laughs> <laughs> Where you were like you were like, there are no cute denim skirts. I refuse to believe it. And I, I was know. like, and then you wore a denim skirt to our first friend date. I remember that. I mean, I was like, I have seen one or two. And then it was like wearing the denim skirt to the first friend date was like cementing our link exchange that was like after the I first know. time we met. And you brought deviled eggs. I'll never forget that. <sighs> I'm bringing a tear to my eye right now, but I really, I wanted to actually make a comment as well on the whole friend groups thing, because you are so right. So much of that is feeling like an outsider rather than sort of a a group of people that feels like they identify themselves as a group and is actively trying to exclude you or deciding whether to let you in. Mostly, I feel like adults do sometimes kind of hang out in like, in like prescribed groups, but often they don't. And this idea that I think it's predominant in college, but it carries over that everyone has a group of friends and it's like you hang out with the group every weekend is true for some people, but other people are like free agents. You know, like I feel like for most (laughs) of my life, I've been an interloper in various different groups. And I mean, not that I don't have close friends, but that I that's a role that I really like. Like, I don't like feeling like I'm kind of seeing the same tight knit group every week. I like the idea of being like, I have close friends who I see in different contexts. And sometimes I feel like an outsider among a specific group because I see them less less often. But that doesn't mean that they're like, what are you doing here? Different friendship dynamics work for different people. So I would also say that you shouldn't strive for like a set group of friends who you see every weekend just because that's the narrative of what you're supposed to have in college. Like there are a lot of different ways to be happy with different friend configurations. And um, totally. Yeah. You know, I think, too, that that time that you take when you're making new friends is really interesting time to, um, <laughs> LOL, it's going to sound so ridiculous, to, like, work on yourself <laughs> and, <laughs> and really do things that you appreciate. You know, like, I don't know, think about the positive of this. It's like, actually, you have a lot of free time and you get to just, like, do the stuff that you want to do being 100% yourself. And this does involve a certain amount of, like, getting out of the house, to be fair. Yeah. As if they were, this were up to me, I'd like, I am perfecting my napping skills. <laughs> uh, you know, but like just doing things that you would never do and getting new hobbies, like meeting new people, that's all okay. It's totally okay. There are like different seasons in life. People come and go out of your life and people want to be your friend because 
because of who you are, not because of like what you have or, you know, like whether you're super cool or blah, blah, blah. Not because they've decided they have an opening in their group. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) oh my God, you know, like this girl, this girl's gone. So we can, there's a spot at the lunch table. Right. That's not true. So this is really your time to shine and to love yourself more. And I also think that this is where the principle of when I, I, I remember when I first moved to LA and I knew almost no one Amina, you were like, just remember that everyone loves you and wants to hang out with you all the time. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's true. (laughs) That actually is a really important thing to keep in mind when you're sitting at home and you're like, I wish I had plans tonight, but I I don't really know that many people. There was that one girl who I exchanged numbers with when I met her at that party and she seemed cool, but like it feels aggressive to ask her to hang out two nights later or whatever you tell yourself that's that might be weird about about trying to initiate hangouts with new people and you just have to get over that and and realize that if you didn't if you don't initiate you will just sit at home alone like you have to get cool with asking people to hang out this is really the cyg mantra if you want something you have to go for it you cannot sit at home and expect that 20 people are going to invite you to a thing you know right you you'd be surprised at how many people just want to sit at home and do that and i I have found that a lot of really good friends I've made is because, you know, like I initiate, (laughs) I initiate hangouts. And I find that really funny because I'm really core in inner life. I'm not that proactive of a person. I'm new to town and everybody has their really set friend groups and I'm trying to navigate that whole circle. But yeah, it's like every Friday I'm just like, who are the cool, interesting people I met this week? And then follow up with all of them. You have to be a little aggressive. It's very cute. And also remember that the converse is true as well, that like just because no one called you this Saturday doesn't mean that no one wants to see you. It just means that like, you know, they're also being inert or whatever, you know, it's it's sort of like if you want to see someone, call someone. It's the social if you see something, say something. <laughs> I know you got to be you got to be a planner. Also, somebody has to do it. You'd be surprised at how few people like do that. Everybody's just like sitting around waiting to be called on the team. Not going to work. It's so true. Um, but you're going to be great to this person. You're going to do great. College is a blast, but after college is even better. And it'll be really interesting to see like five, 10 years from now, who the people are that you still talk to from college and hang out with. Like some of it will be fairly standard, but some of it will surprise you too. Like you get to rediscover people in different contexts and it's totally, totally. And, and yeah, and it could be someone that you met and only spent a month with in the same place, but had a great long distance friendship with, you never know. I know. Ugh. All other lessons of CYG. This is just like a heartwarming special episode. <laughs> oh, I know. This question made me very. I was just like, oh. She's gonna be okay. Yeah, she's gonna be just fine. She's gonna survive. Hmm. All right. Do we want to take this baby feminist question or do sure. we want? Uh, okay. Or what? What are our options? No, I feel like no, I like options. I will. I was going to say I, I did kind of want to do a brief 
circle back to the period joke because no one really sent us period jokes except for <laughs> except for this one on Twitter, um, which a listener tweeted. I've had this period for so long; it's starting to feel like an ellipses. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> punctuation nerd. I know. Period joke. But honestly, unless I missed it in like the flood of social media or like buried in our inbox, I feel that was the only period joke that we received in response to our call for period jokes. I um I will confess I was not paying attention. So let's <laughs> pretend that's the only one we received. And it's the best one. I think we said we read the best one and I mean that one is pretty it's pretty good. It's checking all of our grammatical boxes. It's pretty incredible. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. All right. Let's talk about baby feminists. <laughs> Tell me. I don't know. Do you want to read this question or do you want to talk about some shine theory uplifting baby feminists doing great things? Choose your own adventure. Yeah, I love having choices, but then I get overwhelmed. Um, I'm going to read it. My name is Maggie. Great name. And I am a 22-year-old college student in Buffalo, New York. Ooh, I wonder what college is there. <laughs> it's freezing. It's all I know I, is it's freezing. I know. I've been to Buffalo one time. It was uh, it was to visit a relative I do not like, but it was yeah. You mean North <laughs> Williamsburg? Niagara Falls. Um, oh no, I'm lying. That was in Buffalo. That was Rochester. Sorry, never been to Buffalo. I have recently stumbled upon Call Your Girlfriend and my life has been completed. You two are amazing in ways com- comparable to the queen herself, Beyonce. Wow. Hush your mouth. Wow. That is not true. Rude. Uh, uh, we are not worthy. We're I like cannot 80% stop talking about this podcast to all my friends and I think I'm driving them nuts. I love how I'm just reading all the compliments. Where's the question? <laughs> <laughs> Getting to my reason for writing... I've always thought of my about myself as living on the feminist side of life. <laughs> and I love this. I love my, that turn of phrase. I mean, my Lou Reed cover, Take a Walk on the Feminist Side. Oh, <laughs> Maggie, what a champion. But listening to your podcast, my feminist mindset is beginning to blossom. And I've realized I have so much to learn. Uh, what are the required readings, documentaries, websites, and podcasts for baby feminists wanting to learn more? Where should I start? What are your recommendations and personal favorites? Thanks for creating the podcast. I'm obsessed with it. As I believe Matthew McConaughey would say, keep on keeping on <laughs> with what you're doing. Oh, Maggie, you just made my day. This so is good. so nice. <laughs> so good. Um, and what are the required readings, documentaries, websites, and podcasts for a baby feminist wanting to learn more? Where should Maggie start? What are your recommendations and personal favorites? Oh my god. It's so, I mean, this is just such an expansive question. I am desperately trying to think of in like the pre the pre-social media dark ages when I started calling myself a feminist, what I read and looked at. I, I think for me it was really important to read um Susan Faludi's backlash. It has lots of problems, obviously, but there was something oh, that's so good. But there was something about reading recent history where I was like, oh, I mean, and granted, I read it closer to the time it was published, but reading it and being like, oh, this is why I've thought what I've thought about feminism. And like, here's a context when for a time when I wasn't reading the news, but I was still getting those messages about it. So that was like an early awakening moment for me. But I feel like most of the phenomenal things I learned about being a feminist, I learned 
directly from people I knew. Shout out to Beth Pickens, the woman who made me a feminist. Um, She's so much woman. She's so much woman. Right. Which is not helpful and not really an answer to wonderful Maggie's question about a reading list or a documentary. Do you have like a thing that made you a feminist or that pulled it all together? You know, not... Not to be this asshole again, but I feel like I was always on the feminist side of life. Um, because I think for me, mostly, it was like a combination of pop culture, but also like my the culture that I grew up in. It's hard to be a lady trying to find your way in Africa. <laughs> and I grew up surrounded by this like weird dichotomy, right? Where like my parents were really awesome. And even though like they were a lot more conservative and traditional than I was, Also, you know, I was the oldest girl in my family and my dad never once made me feel that I couldn't be awesome or do whatever I wanted. And that was in like such sharp contrast with other people in my family that I would see or other like, you know, other families that we interacted with. Mm -hmm. And it's like a combination of that and then like watching Daria, like how can you not become a feminist? It was, it's really funny because... I think that, like, most people think that, like, the feminist brand is broken and has, like, bad reputation. Whereas for me, I was like, man, this is a really good brand to align yourself with. Mm-hmm. L- loudmouth teenager. I think also it's a lot of Alanis Morissette and early Robin for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really, 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 really did it. What's a good... It, it's funny. I actually think that's really important because the question in the way it's phrased, like, what are the important books? Like, what are the important websites? This this sort of desire to to research it makes a ton of sense. And I identify it, identify with it. And it would be really easy to be like, read Bell Hooks. And that's going to really give you a foundation for seeing oh. lots of things, places. And that that's absolutely true. Like, you should do that. But I But I also think that there's this notion of paying attention to women who are talking about speaking their truth, talking about their lives and (laughs) and not doing it in a way that puts down other women needlessly, which is not to say they never disagree, but like, you know, just like a generally woman positive women and also lots of different types of women. Like I think totally right. Like you can go your own way. That's how I feel. (laughs) And I really wish someone had made this point to me as a, white baby feminist in a, you know, very white dominated social circle in a white dominated college in the Midwest. I wish someone had been like, yeah, all of the stuff you're reading from people that your professors say are the most important feminists, that stuff is important and interesting. But maybe you should learn about feminist feminism from women with different backgrounds from those women like you know oh, man, like those you women totally had the intersectional chapter in my classes <laughs> so, like I got it I mean I never took a I never formally took a women's studies class I I took things like women in the media that had feminist readings but weren't actually calling themselves like let's interrogate the belief system that is feminism so I just wish someone had really strongly flagged for me that if you pay attention, pay attention exclusively to women who have your background, you're really getting one slant on feminism. And that's not that useful. Uh, resources that I wish had existed when I was an up and coming baby feminist. Number one, Rookie. Rookie oh. is so great. Um, I'm honestly, raising a prayer hand here in the closet. Honestly, basically just read Rookie and you'll be fine. Like, <laughs> like everything just comes to Rookie right in time. 
but also like Tumblr in general, man. I follow a lot of really good teens on Tumblr and I'm like, man, and some of them are still in high school and some in middle school and they have so much hope. I just, I just keep meeting like baby feminists that give me so much hope that everything is going to be okay because they're light years ahead of like where I was at their age and light years ahead of like most people right now. Right. It gets better. A tagline also about feminism. Yeah, feminism is awesome, man. <laughs> I, can't, I sound like such a stoner. Feminism is awesome, man. <laughs> right. But I think that the, the Tumblr point is actually interesting because I think that for feminism to be its most meaningful to you, you kind of have to curate various sources of it. So the idea of being like, okay, I'm going to follow this blog that highlights unknown women artists. And then I'm going to follow this blog that's like women in history I hadn't heard of because history Mm -hmm. only tells me about three different women and they were the same three names I hear over and over and over. This blog will not mention Betsy Ross. Thank you. Um, (laughs) You know, (laughs) and that can be combined with something that is more modern day activism based and something that is a diary written by a trans girl, you know, who you will never meet, but is like very open about her life. And there's something about being able to put that together. I mean, I found a lot of that stuff just based on what people I follow who are openly feminist also follow and what they reblog. That said, I will say that the common denominator to all the awesome tumblers about feminism is always Audre Lorde. So Truth. follow 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 the Audrey Lord light wherever you go. Oh my god, search Audrey Lord on Tumblr. That I bet that's just a wealth of fantastic things to follow. Yeah, no, seriously. That and Janet Mock. Janet Mock also the gem. Right. A one a one woman font of amazing things to follow. <laughs> uh, her new show on MSNBC is amazing. She looks great all the time. Not to belittle how smart and everything else she is, but like her fashion game is on point. <laughs> It's interesting. I keep thinking about this question of required readings. I don't actually know if there's one reading I would require. And we should everyone. pull together a baby feminist syllabus. We really should. So really I know should. that people have done this, obviously, but I mean, we could probably do, do it like, better. Your girlfriend version. One thing that I will say too, actually, that um, is the thing that I'm fascinated with is I watch like every fashion documentary that exists. Because I find that those have some, like, really interesting, like, feminist slants on them. Tell me more. like, anything that highlights, like, older models or, like, yeah, it's just... I think that, like, watching documentaries in general that feature women or, like, women professions, you whether you agree with what they're saying or not, really starts just... Your brain just explodes every single time. Right. I mean, not everyone who calls themselves a feminist is going to say something that is relevant to you. (laughs) I think is something that I also wish I had known early on in calling myself a feminist. I know. You know, like sometimes it's okay if someone says something that you think is super bullshit and is calling themselves a feminist to be like, okay, well, I'm going to let you do that thing. And it doesn't actually affect how I formulate my own feminist politics, which doesn't mean you don't always say something about it, but it does mean you can kind of parking lot at somewhere else (laughs) no you know this is the thing that i actually constantly still harp about it's maybe if you're a woman of color it's so much more you you that realization comes to you like very early on right that's been like i think the that was like the lesson of my 20s and maybe the lesson that the internet constantly teaches me just because you're like the same things as someone doesn't mean that you have the same politics but also too doesn't mean that you can necessarily trust them (laughs) right so 
you know. Um, right, or trust that, them to put those politics into action in a way that you would. No, totally. I, you know, like, I, I think especially in the recent years, like, social media has been really good about exposing this, right? Like, the, how, like, what it means to say, what, like, when somebody says, like, women, like, what kinds of women they actually mean, right? And whether that's inclusive of all women or if it's, like, specifically white women. Or even just realizing right. that feminist issues, like, affect women of color and trans women very differently than they do white women. All of this to say, watch fashion documentaries. Watch that Makers documentary that's kind of really cheesy and is, like, very 101, but it's great. And then follow up with everybody from the Makers documentary. Right. And, and I think that's a good choose-your-own choose your, choose your adventure. Yeah, totally. And hold on to what seems useful to you, but also like make space for what challenges you, which totally important white lady feminist advice. And watch like documentaries by female directors, like anything Agnes Varda made, you should watch on the Criterion Collection. This is a great tip. I didn't even think of that. You know, it's like my mind goes immediately to the to the explicitly here is an essay about feminism, like syllabus material. <laughs> and you're and you are one hundred percent right that you learn so much more sometimes from like actually seeing women just put it into practice. I know. I mean, like for me, I am obsessed with second wave feminism. Women that were born in that generation, whether they identify as feminist or not, I really gravitate towards their art and their thought and whatever. That's the rabbit hole that I go down when I'm researching things. It's like, what is so-and-so up to? And what is this person? You know, like, what did they read? And what did they do? And Tumblr is a great research. <laughs> um, it's a great research mechanism for all of those things. Right. And I, th- I feel like I've also learned a lot from actively seeking out writing from people who are not in the majority in certain spaces. I think about Jessica Hopper's emo where the girls aren't essay, which like I was never even an emo fan, but just as a distillation of what it means to be the only one in a room, which is something that a lot of people have experienced at some point and found different ways to put into words about different spaces or made art about in different spaces. I think that that experience of being drowned out by a broader culture that is actively or subtly attempting to silence you and like and creating art or explicitly addressing that is all of that stuff is important feminist fodder okay well we'll pull together the semblance of a tiny tiny three-week seminar syllabus (laughs) (laughs) it's true like watching, listening, reading, maybe. Yeah. Oh man, let's do that. Watching, listening, reading. And yeah, I'm also just like a big fan of looking for that stuff in not the like in not the obvious places. Yeah. Like I'm not gonna recommend Annie DeFranco <laughs> to a little too on the nose, you might say. But uh <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I, I, I don't know if maybe that's generational. I just Never, I was just never into like the very obvious feminist art that I was supposed to be into. I think like that, that it, stuff. I I didn't really have a strong moment with that either, but I think that it can be important for people who are just working on their feminist identity to have an example of someone articulating it really plainly. I know, except that she did that whole thing last year with the concert at the plantation or whatever. Oh, so. trust. Oh, trust. Yeah. So you know. Yeah. She was on my bad side for other reasons, but like now I'm like, hmm, 
I can throw shade at you on my podcast. Right. Um, <laughs> but I also am not familiar with her music, so maybe I'll I'll dabble this week. Oh my god. I good luck with that. Please report back from that. Totally, totally. Um but yeah, Agnes Varda, like hot tip. Like great, great movies. Uh all right. I feel I feel like that's that's it oh man i wanted to talk about those tampons that everybody keeps writing about but we'll talk about that next time i i don't even know what i mean do you want to do you want to just squeeze this in i've I've gotten a couple emails about this like magic better than ob tampon situation except that it costs a million dollars on amazon so i'm like i want to try them out but i don't want to pay for it there's things maybe i'll do that oh and also i almost bought a diva cup so maybe for (gasps) next time i'll try it and i'll report back i would love that Please, um, please, you know, guinea like, pig. Since, I'm, since I've gotten better at money, I'll, maybe I'll start a period fund for all the things I want to buy to try. Period innovation fund. Yeah, maybe I could write that off on my taxes. I mean, this is work, right? We don't really get paid, but this is work. <laughs> Technically. So good. Um, yeah, no, so perfect. Yes. Do you want to tell people where to find us? Oh, we are so everywhere on the internet at callyourgirlfriend.com on twitter at callyrgf you can also email us at is it callyrgf at gmail.com I mean (laughs) everywhere and then also in iTunes of course which here's a friendly reminder to leave us a good rating Um, because that would be really nice even though your emails are probably better and that email is incredible today Um, but yeah that's it okay bro I love you I'll see you on the internet See you on the internet.